Good to have you here this morning and thankful that you are here to worship with us. Just have a few announcements as we get started. Uh, first off, if you've noticed when you came in, we have baby bottles. So Baby Bottle Boomerang is a uh, fundraiser for the Pregnancy Resource Center. Um, so we're going to be filling those up. Uh, you fill them up with cash or check or change, and you bring those back, and we take those to the Pregnancy Resource Center, and that's one of the main fundraisers that they use to, to keep operating the way that they're able to. And so um, we ask that you take a baby bottle, fill it up, and you can return it to the church by March 10th, and uh, we will get those over to the Pregnancy Resource Center um, shortly after that. But thank you in advance for those of you who I know will grab those and fill those up. Um, that's a great ministry for us to be able to help and connect with. Tonight, there's a deacon's meeting at 6 o'clock here at the church. Um, so just a reminder on that. And then next Sunday, uh, we have our parent partnership lunch. Uh, that, that lunch is for any parent guardian of any of our kids in our, in our church. Um, that's going to be from 12 to 2 p.m. We'll provide lunch. And then after that, um, the kids, if you need child care, that will be available. Uh, we'll go and play for a little while, and us parents will go, are going to be going through uh, Paul David Tripp's parenting. It's not what you think it is. It's a really great study, um, and really it's just a time of encouragement for parents and guardians um, on how do we parent biblically, um, and what does that look like, and how can we help each other in that task that God has given us. And so I, I highly um, encourage you to, to be a part of that. If you would like to sign up, uh, there's a sign-up sheet at the welcome table. Please let me know. Try by Wednesday of this week so I know how much food to get, uh, whether you're going to be able to make it or not. would love for you to be able to, to come and be a part of that. Um, and then coming very quickly is D-NOW. D-NOW is our student um, discipleship weekend. Uh, that's for any of our students who are, are um, middle and high schoolers. And it is a time where we stay in host homes, we spend the weekend together, we go to uh, Rootful Road Baptist Church and meet with about 10 other churches um, and just have worship services. And, and this year we're going we're gonna to really focus in on um, the, the crucifixion, crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus uh, since it's going to be the weekend before uh, Easter. And so I, I hope that you'll be a part of that. The cost is $35 um, and signups are through Rootful Road. There's a, a QR code that you can scan back in the back and, um, and sign up. But if you sign up, you can either pay on there or if you click pay later, you can pay me um, and, I can, and I can pay uh, later on. But we want everyone to know if your child wants to go and, and money is an issue, please do not let that be a reason not to send them. Um, we, have, we have the ability to, to help out in that way. So if you need any help with that, please let me know. I, I want your student to be there. Um, it's probably my favorite weekend of the year. And so please, um, if, if you have any questions that, about that, please see me. To sign up by March 1st to guarantee a shirt um, for D-NOW. We have one more announcement from Sarah Beth about BCM, and then we'll have our call to worship. Good morning. Um, as most of you know, the West Georgia BCM has been a really big part of a lot of people's lives, and especially in mine. Um, and so a few years ago, I came to y'all and I shared with you that I was going to go for a summer and spend that as a missionary in Savannah, which was an incredible experience for me. 
I was able to go through an opportunity called Send Me Now, which is specifically through Georgia Baptist Missions, um, specifically to collegiate ministries. Um, and so this opportunity offers several, several different placements for college students across Georgia. Um, and so we want to do our part in fundraising for those trips to be fully funded. Um, and so I just wanted to invite y'all because we are doing a silent auction um, and kind of a little program on March 1st at Christ the King Church uh, from 6 to 8. So if you're interested in participating in that or if you have questions about what that looks like, definitely ask me or Emily can answer those questions as well. So thank you. That was, that was it. <laughs> Good morning. I'm going to be reading this morning from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Um, and it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Pray with me. <clears throat> Father, we come before you. Just thank you for this morning for just being able to be here, being be able to be in a house of worship, free to worship you, uh, free to sing your praises, free to pray to you, to read your word, and to hear uh, Neil preach, God, this morning, the choir sing. I mean, all of the freedoms that we have been given, we are so grateful for, Father. We pray that you would be with Catherine and the choir as they sing, be with the, all the folks who are helping with audiovisual and music and sound, be with Neil as he preaches. Um, thank you for our whole staff. God, bless them. Watch over them. Uh, Father, just uh, we pray that, that we continue to have the freedoms that you have blessed us with, and that we would use those freedoms wisely and that we would be able to spread the gospel in this community, Father. We love you, we thank you, and ask this in your name. Amen. If you'll stand this morning, we're going to begin worship with singing Blessed Assurance.
hymn 435. It's called God of Grace and God of Glory. Um, and I'm going to get a hymn book, and I invite you to get one, too, if you do not know 435. So that's what page we're going to. Pate's going to come sing us a special. Um, Neil asked me to sing this a little while back, and my husband asked, he says, well, you've been singing that for 10 years. I don't know why you want to practice it, but um, I like to go back and research these songs before I sing them and I guess I forgot this or I just you know didn't know it but I went back and looked again and it's called Every Season written by um, and sung by Nicole Nordman and she wrote this song for her friend who um, got married and shortly after her husband passed away so she wrote this song and sang it at his funeral and in her words, she said, um, it was so overwhelming to have these two really heavy life moments, one overflowing with joy and one unbelievably wrought with grief, and to somehow still be able to believe, to really believe that God is not only God of, some of the summer season, but he's also God during our winter. Sorry. So... You know, God is 
there for us not only during the good times, but he's there for us during those hard times. And it says that every season for her was a way of saying that she wasn't going to let, you know, God's sovereignty be ruled by her emotions or circumstances, or else she would just be all over the place. So another way that this song kind of brings meaning to me is it says that it assures us that God's faithfulness transcends the changing seasons and that he continually is continually working to renew and transform us. So while it shows the pictures of all the seasons and how we can see God in all things, it's also talking about how we go through different seasons of life and how God is there using those, those times of winter to transform us into those times of spring. And sometimes I feel like my winter is about 10 months out of the year and my spring, summer, and fall is about two weeks because it just feels like sometimes, you know, you go through hard times and it's really tough. And I remember asking my mom one time, I just don't understand sometimes how life is just so hard all the time. And she said, well, Teresa, if life was easy and everything was perfect, then why would we need God? We wouldn't look forward to heaven. We wouldn't need it. And so, you know, God does use those hard times to help change us, to open up our eyes, to give us a new perspective on things that we didn't see before. And for those things, we are grateful, and we grow to be closer to him. So I hope that during those times of winter, you don't push him away, but you just draw closer.
open my eyes, Lord. one more time for us. I encourage you to welcome those around you as our choir makes our way down. sing that second verse one more time together and then we'll pray before our sermon. So we're just going to sing open our ears Lord we want to hear Jesus. are messed up on the screen on that one and that one's my fault but you know just those that may that be our prayer this morning as we pray going into our service that we open our eyes to see Jesus but more importantly that we open our ears to hear Jesus dear gracious heavenly father God Lord thank you so much just for allowing us to come into your house and worship this morning God Lord thank you for the beautiful song that Teresa shared and just the reminder that you're with us in every season of our life God Lord may we um, pray what we have saying God that our eyes will be open to see you, God, and our ears will be open to hear you, God. 
And Lord, I just pray that we, um, we were reminded this morning to look around for the things that Teresa sung of, God. Because if we look around, we do see you everywhere, God. And Lord, as we open up the book of John this morning to see your sign, God, Lord, may we listen and be intent in hearing what you have to say to each one of us through Pastor Neil. Lord, we thank you for our children's workers, and we pray for them as our children are learning, and we pray for our nursery workers. And we just thank you for bringing us here safely, God. Lord, may we honor and glorify you in this time of study. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Miss Yvonne. As uh, those who are going to Children's Church leave, thank you again for our ministry to our children. Turn the rest of us to John chapter 9 as we work through the seven signs that are in John's gospel. Today we will see that Jesus is the light of the world. I want to thank Teresa again for that very powerful and moving song. I was not familiar with the backstory there, but that makes it even more uh, inspiring and, and meaningful. I, I love the stories behind the songs. And what I took from that, uh, of course, relates to what I'm preaching because that's where my mind is at the moment. God, at just the right time, at just the right time, in your particular season of life, through His grace, will give you the light that you need. God will give us the light that we need. So turning to John chapter 9, let's look at what this means and how this happens. Um, I do want to say that speaking of light, Billy Vaughn, you're a sight for sore eyes, as they would say. Billy Vaughn's here, yeah. Um, we can't always point out who's in attendance, but uh, people have been asking me how Billy was doing, and I take Billy at, at as a sign that you're here, that you're doing well. And we love you and we're grateful for your, um, your attendance this morning. Okay, John chapter 9. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. Um, so this is a long narrative. In fact, if you'll look at John chapter 9, it's, there are 41 verses that relate to this sixth sign in John's Gospel. So I'm going to read all 41 verses. Now, I know you can handle it, all right? But I just didn't rest with leaving any of this out. And I'm going to make five points from this text. But this morning, you're only going to get three. <laughs> so guess what we're doing next week? We're doing this same sign. There's enough light in this passage, to encourage us and to transform us and to guide us. What I'm tempted to do when I come to a text is approach it topically, where I start wanting to study everything the Bible says about light. Okay? And, and so we can't do that because as I study this, the, the Bible has so much light, there's so much about light, and, and, and God being light and giving light. So I'm going to try to condense a lot of what the Bible says about light using this particular passage. So let's go ahead to John 9. But all of this flows from what he says in John 8, 12. Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. I am. 
And that statement is the equivalent of him claiming to be deity, claiming to be God. All those I am statements, well, this infuriates his enemies and his opponents. And so in John chapter 8, they start hurling at Jesus insults. And by the end of John chapter 8, they're ready to hurl something besides insults. They hurl or get ready to hurl what? Rocks. Stones. So as the light begins to increase and the darkness is threatened, the hostility of the enemies of Jesus is only increasing. And we know the rest of the story that that hostility and that hatred will so fester that it will culminate in the murder of Jesus. So through John chapter 8, they say, say things like this, and, and these are not nice things to say. For any of us by nature, these would be fighting words. And I'm just quickly reviewing the darkness that's in John 8 against Jesus. Verse 13, your witness is not true. They're saying about Jesus, he's a liar. In 848, they call him a Samaritan, a racially derogatory term. They top that off with saying that Jesus has a demon. So they call him a liar, they call him a derogatory term, and then they call him demonic. Then in verse 52, they, they settle on it. They're certain. They say, we now know that you have a demon. And then after hurling verbal insults, they prove that they are in complete darkness in relationship to God and truth and Christ because at the end of chapter 8, they're ready to kill him, stone him. All right, so that's the background to this narrative in John chapter 9. So let's read it, okay? So he hides himself, goes out of the temple. If you know the whole biblical narrative, that, 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 that in itself can be taken as a symbolic moment. He's the light but they do not love the light. They're not praying, open our eyes, Lord, so we can see Jesus. In fact, they, they are closing their eyes in arrogance and pride and self-importance. So, okay, one of the ways that God will judge us for not loving the light is, 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 is to, to begin to hide the truth. So Jesus hid himself and then he leaves the temple. The glory has departed. All right, chapter 9, verse 1. So as he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. Well, his disciples asked him, Well, whose fault is this, right? Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Jesus answered, and he said, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. 
So he demonstrates with what happens next. When he said this, he spat on the ground, made clay of the spit, and then he applies the clay to this blind man's eyes. And some in the audience are saying, that's gross. Let's be real. And some of the commentators say that one of the things that this is demonstrating is the unclean becoming clean. Darkness becoming light. But I must move on. So they said to him, he said to him, Jesus said to the blind man, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And John tells us, this is translated sent. Sent. And so he went away and he washed and he came back seeing. The neighbors therefore and those who previously saw him as a beggar. So get this, he was blind from birth, but he was also a beggar. They were saying, is, is not this the one who used to sit here and beg? And others were saying, so there's, this debate unfolds, this is he, while others were saying, no, that's, it looks like him. But he kept telling them, I'm the one, I'm the one. You, you look, here I am, right? Therefore, they were saying to him, well, how then were your eyes open? And he answered and said, the man who is called Jesus made clay... He anointed my eyes, and he said to me, Go to Siloam, to the scent place, and wash. So I went away and washed, and I received sight, received, gift, grace. And so they said to him, Where is he? He says, I don't know. Well, I don't know that that's the tone that he used. But as I read John chapter 9, if I had to... If I had to bet this guy was in junior high school he's one of my favorite characters in all the bible and you'll see as we go through his answers how he's just man he's so real and anyway he says i don't know so they brought to the pharisees of all people him who was formerly blind ah but it was the sabbath and so in the background, you know, uh-oh. Man, they held those Sabbath laws. This is going to cause problems. A miracle has happened, but they don't care. They brought to the Pharisees him was, who was formerly blind. It was Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And again, therefore, the Pharisees also were asking him how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others were saying, well, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs, attesting miracles? Now, that's how we know that this sign is one of the seven signs is because it uses that word, attesting miracle, in this point in the text. We're not just picking seven random miracles and calling them the seven signs. There's proof in the text that these were to be seen as miracles that prove that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. So at the end of verse 16, this divides people. 
the great division, right? Over who Jesus is. So they said, therefore, to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. So first he called him a man. Now he's calling him a prophet. Notice the progression in his understanding as we go. So the Jews, therefore, they did not believe it of him that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents. Let's call the parents of the very one who had received his sight. And they questioned them. So this guy's on trial. His parents are on trial. Look at this interrogation. A miracle has taken place, which they should be responding rightly to, but they want to put other people on trial. And is that not human nature at its worst? Man, i got to get the light off of me. So what do we do? We put other people under the microscope to prevent us from dealing with our own culpability and accountability. That's just a passing comment, and already there's several of these. So I, I, I told myself I'm just going to read it through, but I can't do it. Can't do it. Or won't do it. I don't know which. So, 19, they questioned them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How does he now see? Well, his parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son. Well, there you go. And that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we don't know. Or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he is of age, he shall speak for himself. So that tells me that he's in his late teens. He's above 12. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. The Jews had already agreed if anyone confesses him to be Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue, kicked out. For this reason, his parents said, well, he's of age, ask him. So a second time, they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, give glory to God. Fess up. Come on, fess up, guy. We know that this man is a sinner, speaking of Jesus. He therefore answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know is that whereas I was blind, now I see. What a powerful statement. John Newton has these same words. I was lost and now I'm found. I was blind and now I see. They said therefore to him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them. He said, I told you already. You didn't listen. Why? Do you want to hear it again? Or why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? Notice he's, he's got a little bit of smart aleck in him. You're asking all these questions. Well, are you going to become his follower also? Is that why you're so interested? And we know from the underlying truth here, of course not. So they reviled him. They said, you are his disciple. But we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he is from. And the man answered and said to them, Well, here's an amazing thing. You don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. 
Since the beginning of time, it's never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. What a testimony. So they answered and said to him, You were born entirely in sins, and you're teaching us? And then they put him out. They kick him out. They exile him. He's kicked out of junior high school. So verse 35. Jesus heard that they had put him out, cast away. Finding him, finding him, mind you, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered and he said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. He proskuneoed. He fell down before Jesus and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world. This is so important. Listen to this part. That those who do not see may see. And that those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard those things. And they said to him, we're not blind too, are we? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, quote, we see... Your sin remains. Father, thank you for this story, this miracle. May it touch our hearts and our minds so that we too could see more of the light, of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Not only do we need light for salvation, but we need light for growth and ministry, encouragement. We also know that in the end, there's a permanent light. And that is our future glory. Shine that light upon us as we read this text as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I meant to tell you before I read it what to look for. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you what we should have looked for. Uh, but in advance, of course, with a week or so or more to prepare, this is kind of what I'm landing on as far as the big headings and truths that we should gain from this. Jesus is the light of the world, of course. Um, But I want us to see first that His light is absolutely necessary. So let's first see the necessity of His light. Then I want us to understand that There's a purpose here, and and so there's a purpose for his light. And then I want to see the, 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 the radiance of his light. What is the effect of the light that God gives to us in Christ? And then there's the pathway of his light, light, that we are called to walk in the light as he is. And then there's the permanence of his light that that to connect with Teresa's song, there will be a time when there will be no more seasons. No more fall, no more winter, no more spring. But if you read about the glory that is to come, there will be no sun, there will be no need for the sun, because the glory 
of the lamp of the beauty of Christ will eternally shine, an, an endless summer, so to speak. That's the permanence of his light. But let's look first at the necessity of his light. Now, the older I get, the more I realize that I need brighter lights in order to be able to see to read. It doesn't take very long for the power or the electricity to go off, and immediately you've taken for granted the light that you live in every day. When I read this text, it, it, it begins to dawn on me, so to speak, that what this man has, his condition, is symbolic and representative of the condition of all of us in this world apart from God's grace and God's revealing light. By nature, he's blind. By nature, the Bible tells us that we too are blind, that there is no fear of God before our eyes. Because we are fallen sinners, clouded by self and sin and all that that entails, we don't see life correctly, we don't see ourselves correctly, we don't see others correctly, we don't see God correctly because we are sinful and fallen and, 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 and in the dark. By nature, this man that Jesus seeks and finds and graciously loves with a miracle is in a natural-born state from which he cannot heal himself. And he's bankrupt. He's begging. You've probably heard that Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Where do we get this idea? Is that all of us by nature, because we've sinned against God, we are alienated, we too are cast out of paradise. And by nature, we are blind and spiritually bankrupt in the dark. But how does the, how does the Bible begin? Let there be what? Light. God breathed this universe into existence. God speaks light into existence. And so Jesus, as God become flesh and dwelling among us, speaks into this man's life and directs him, though his need is great, and though his condition is natural, and though he cannot help himself, look at the grace of Christ coming into his life at just the right moment. But in the interaction with the Pharisees, Jesus makes a statement at the end of this that's a little confusing. That if you claim that you can see without Christ, without the Bible, without God... If you claim that you're fine, that you're okay, that you don't need God, you don't need His revelation, you don't need His light, then you are blind and your guilt remains. You're still in your sins and you will die in your sins. So notice that Jesus uses this whole scene to say that first you've got to confess your blindness before your eyes will ever be open to be able to see. But if you will confess that you're blind and, and, and wave the white flag and say to God, confess to God, on my own, I'm like those disciples in the storm. 
It's dark and it's stormy and it's scary and I'm rowing as hard as I can go. But, but people are telling me, row harder. Who cares? <laughs> right? I'm stuck. If you admit your blindness, Jesus says, you're on the road to sight and to seeing. To stay in your fallen, sinful condition on your own is to stay blind, spiritually bankrupt, and dead in your sins and transgressions and guilt. That's kind of a summary of, of, of what Jesus does and teaches from this passage. So, so let's first own that, that, that his light is necessary. That apart from him, I can see nothing, I can do nothing, I can hear nothing. I begin my daily life and the rest of my life with the song that we sang. In humility, I will ask, open my eyes, Lord, I want to see. I think it's wonderful here that before this man even asked, though, Jesus is pursuing and initiating and working a new creation in his life, just as God did from the very beginning when he proclaimed, let there be light. Okay, so that may be enough in the first point. The necessity of life, light, which is also life, as John 1 says from the beginning. All right, then, then let's, let's look also at well, what's the purpose of, of light? And, and this is interesting, and, and you kind of have to draw this from the implications in the text, but Jesus explains why the man was born blind. It wasn't that anyone had sinned, neither him nor his parents. And some really good points were made in what I read this week about sometimes you can make a direct connection between our sin and, and, and consequences, be they physical, spiritual, moral, finite, whatever. But you cannot press it to always. The book of Job, for example, is a great demonstration that oftentimes people go through difficult suffering and, and, and there's no sin committed. But this man was born blind so that the glory of God could be displayed in his life. Well, I back up and say, well, that's the reason for everything. That's the reason any of us exist. In the physical condition that I currently have, everything exists for God's glory and pleasure. Everything exists for worship. Everything exists for praise and gratitude. What's the number one command? To love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind, and all of our strength, and to love other people. That's why eyes exist. That's why blindness exists. That's why everything exists. But Jesus makes a point in verse 4. So the works of God are going to be displayed in his life. That's why this situation is what it is. But then in verse 4, he kind of takes a, a tangent and, 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 he, and he shifts and he says, We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no man 
can work. One of the reasons you need light is so that you can work. How many of you as a young person held the flashlight for your dad? <laughs> right? Toughened you up a little bit, didn't it? But light is for productivity. Light is for working. So the purpose for the light is for God to be glorified through the works that he gives us opportunity to do while it's day. We used to sing a song years ago in, in, in some of the churches I was connected to, Work for the night is coming. Do any of you remember that song? When man's work is done. Why does light exist? Why does day exist? So that you and I can, can display the glory of God through the, through the works in our lives. You're, you're, the, you're the light of the world, Jesus said. You don't, you don't hide your light, but, but you let it shine so that others can see your good works and do what? Glorify the Father who's in heaven. This is telling me that my life is short. That day is short. Jesus was telling his disciples, the time that I have with you is very short, it's precious. God has given you the light of today for a reason. Don't presume on having more light than you have now, but work while it is daytime because time is coming. And this is another allusion to the cross, the darkness that he would go through, and the darkness that they would feel while he went through trial and suffering and death. But then on the third day, of course, light dawn that leads to the permanent day that we will enjoy in eternity to come. But here's the point. The purpose of light is to glorify God while we have the light to minister to others so that they can see Jesus. How does this story end? With him fulfilling the ultimate purpose of light. Jesus opens his eyes at the beginning of the story. What does he do at the end of the story? He sees God in the person of Christ. He worships Jesus. He fulfills the whole purpose in that while it's day, he makes the connections, he responds correctly to the revelation, he responds to the grace, he responds to the work, and it concludes where everything is going to conclude with worship and glory to Christ who is King and who is the light? So let's back up and say, why does, why does sight exist? Why do feet exist? Why do hands exist? Why do mouths exist? Why does everything exist for his glory? And you and I must respond to the light we've been given during the day because night is coming, death is coming, judgment is coming, and while it's day, you cannot presume on more time. While it's opportunity, Paul says, let us do the works that God has called us to do. The light is necessary. The light has purpose. And I think those two points really come out as you look into the details of this particular narrative. He sees, he believes, he confesses, and he worships. If our eyes 
And let me say, the eyes of our heart, the eyes of our will, the eyes of our faith, if they never reach that point, the warning from the Bible is that ultimately we will spend eternity cast out into what? Outer darkness. Thus the division within the chapter over who Jesus is, it is the great divide for all of us. And then the third principle point is the radiance of his light. Now where I'm going with this, sometimes it's hard to tell where we're going. What I really want you to see is the effect of the light and the power of his grace, because this is grace. What's the effect of his light? Well, that this young guy, his life is completely transformed. I don't know what you people are arguing about, but all I know is the proof's in the pudding, and I was blind, and now I see. You could not argue with the reality of the transformation. Look at the effect of Jesus on his life. Well, we know the, the whole effect is forgiveness, transformation, a change in the way he's going to see people and himself and life and others. Wednesday evening, I show up for adult Bible study, and uh, I wish everybody was as happy to see me as James Massey was happy to see me Wednesday when I got here. And James is in here this morning. James, you were glad to see me Wednesday night. And I don't want to embarrass him, but he says, Neil, and he comes up and he loves you. And, 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 but I noticed something new about James. There was a new level of excitement, a new level of love. And, and then Ed explained, he got new glasses. <laughs> now I can see. We're not going to go there, but in Acts chapter 26, I was thinking of going there, but we're not going to go there. There's a wonderful story about a man named Saul. He was blind. He hated Jesus. He hated other people. He had everything associated with the church. But on the road to Damascus, he was blinded by a light. And it was the light and the radiance and the supernatural effect of Jesus and the brightness of his holiness and beauty, beauty blinded Paul to show him that he had been blind and then it gave him sight spiritual sight to finally see who Jesus really was and is and in that Jesus says to him I am commissioning you I gave you light so that you can go and give light to others to preach to the Gentiles those who are exiled those who are cast out the, the, the ones that nobody cares for and nobody wants to minister to. To preach forgiveness, to preach repentance, to preach transforma transformation, to preach eternal life. It's a wonderful passage. I think 2618. Maybe I, maybe I will read, read this. This is, what Jesus, this is what Jesus says to Paul about the light. Paul's going to preach the gospel to do this. To do what? To open their eyes. To open their eyes. So when you and I preach and share and demonstrate the gospel, 
The Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, that that is an eye-opening ministry. You may say, well, Jesus opened this guy's eyes in, in John 9, and he opened Paul's eyes by blinding him on the Damascus Road, but what power do we have? When Paul later describes, I didn't finish, that they may turn to open their eyes, that they may turn from darkness to light, and from the dominion of Satan to God, in order to give praise and glory to his name. Now, I'm just summing up Acts 26. To, and the reason I'm doing that is that when you and I preach the word, and when we share the word, and we live the word, Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 says it's, it's like God is recreating. And that's what Teresa's saying, wasn't it? But think about what he says. Paul says, the God of this world has has blinded the minds of unbelievers. But when we share the gospel, it, Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 4, I think it's verse 6, God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who shone and shines in our heart to give us, listen, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. What that means is, is that when you shine the light of the gospel of Jesus... It has a transforming, radiating effect on the life of those who will hear it. God still opens eyes. He still opens minds. He still opens hearts. And he does it in numerous ways, but God through his Spirit is working in my life and in your life this very moment to open up our eyes with light to give us more truth of his grace more truth of his love, more truth of his glory, to, to, so that when we are in darkness, we can remember what we've seen in the light, the light of the gospel, the light of Jesus. Oh, the radiance of his glory shines. I'll close with one final example. And it's about a song. Isaac Watts was an incredible person. His dad was a dissident connected to the Anglican church, which means that Isaac Watts didn't have a lot of the privileges that the Anglican church children had. He had to go to a special school. He had to do... Sp anyway, not, you know, but when he was little, he said, I, I don't like the music that they're singing in church. He told his dad. He said, I don't, I don't like the hymns that the church is singing. You know what his dad said? Write your own hymns, all right? Pretty good response. I'm glad his dad said that because we have some wonderful hymns from Isaac Watts, and you know one of them. And the reason I come back to this in conclusion is that he said this, and this is where I want us to land. Because if there's anything that shines light on who God is, who we are, and what, what life and, and the Word is all about, it, it is the cross of Christ. There's nothing that you and I ought to highlight and shine on and shine out like the cross of Christ. And Isaac Watts got it. Read his story. You already sing his hymns. But this is what he wrote. This is what we sing, okay? Get this. This shows us the necessity of light. It shows us the purpose of light. And it also shows the effect of light. He, he said this, he wrote this, we sing it. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw what? The light. 
Where did it dawn on him? Where did it, where did it illumine his life? It was at the cross. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. Do you know the next part? And the burden of my heart rolled away. The effect of it was freedom and forgiveness, no longer bound by the blindness of sin. It was there by faith I received my, say it with me, sight. The exact words of this guy in John 9. I received my sight. Do you know the rest of it? And now I am happy all the day. Is that really possible? I thought of another song. I can see clearly now. (laughs) Sorry, the rain has gone, right? I can see all obstacles in my way. Gone are the dark clouds that had me blind. You know the rest of it? It's going to be a bright, bright, sunshiny day. I have no idea what that guy meant when he wrote that song, but I'm, I'm interpreting it through what Isaac Watts said about the cross. And now I am happy all the day. There is no light like his light. It is life, it is purity, it's radiant, it's transforming. And that's why next week I want to spend some time with us talking about why it's important and how we walk in the light as he is in the light. And then I want you to remember. Listen, I've got to say this because you may not be here next week. This is the most important part I'll ever say. This is the most important part of the message because it's, it's about what happened on the cross. Jesus, the Son of God, went through utter darkness on Calvary's cross. That's why in the middle of the day, it got completely what? Dark. God was giving us a sign that Jesus, this pure, sinless light of the world, was taking on himself and absorbing the sin and the wickedness and the evil and the darkness that you and I deserve as our substitute. He went through utter darkness so that you and I could live forever in everlasting light. That's the gospel. And that's why Isaac Watts, when he looked at the cross, could really say, and now I am happy all the day. Why? Because he deserves utter darkness, but God has given him the grace to see the everlasting light. And that's how we go through the seasons. Is we know that spring is coming. We know that summer's coming. Because Jesus went through darkness and came out on the other side, And there was a light on that resurrection morning that nothing, nothing could extinguish. And it was the covenant love of God that nothing can diminish. Father, thank you for your covenant faithfulness, loyalty, and love. We sin and fall short of your glory. We look back at seasons of our lives and we say, I was completely blind. I was completely foolish. How could I have not seen it? 
but God, you've given us light. We get light in creation as you reveal your glory and your omnipotence and your sovereignty. We get light, though, specifically and especially through the gospel. And I pray that we would see life. You would open our eyes and our hearts to see life ultimately through the cross and the resurrection. That is the intense, perfect revelation of your light in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing, Just As I Am. You come as we sing. Catherine for leading us in our closing hymn. A um, couple of items. Don't forget, Deacon's meeting at 6. I know we already said that. But uh, Jamie Wynn will be here with us Wednesday night at 
And I've got a regular Wednesday night study. Um, listen, I give you permission to come Wednesday night to hear Jamie at 6.15 without the expectation that you will continue to come on Wednesdays. Jamie is going to share about his ministry. He couldn't come on a Sunday, so he's coming to share about what's going on uh, at the Harbor Church where he and his wife moved uh, in, in, in uh, Hartford, Connecticut, uh, to, to do a ministry there. So anyway, he's going to share about his We are a regular supporter of him. So if you want to find out more about what's happening there and how we can pray for him, uh, Jamie will be with us Wednesday night at 6.15. Um, hey, Judy Smith is the other update. A lot of you have asked me about her. She's at home now and doing well. She had her surgery this week, and she's at home. Um, Let's pray for Randall Dotson, his mother Sharon passed. Randall, it's good to see you and Lynette here today. But let's continue to pray for uh, Randall in the, the passing of his mother um, out in Texas. And then um, anything else? I'm leaning on you. Uh, yeah, my, I was going to mention this but has to, because we don't have a lot of information. Marcia Harper was taken to the hospital this morning. She spent some time in the hospital early this week. And apparently Terry was at Sunday school, got called to go to Tanner. Um, but what I had heard is the doctor called her in. So, uh, long story short, pray for Marcia and um, continue to lift Marcia and Terry up. Uh, anything else or anyone else? Yes, sir. Amen. Take nothing for granted. Amen. Pray for Mr. Barry's friend, Michelle, uh, and what she has coming up this Thursday. Uh, baby bottles, Bryson mentioned that. Anything else, Bryson, that we're not? Yes, there will be uh, Wednesday night regular, regular ministries, adults, children, and students. Thank you, Bryson. Kathy? Hey, we have five weeks till Easter. It's not too late to jump in the choir. Choir will practice at five this afternoon. We'd love to have you. Mr. Billy, it's good to see you back there. I don't know if they said that right when we were ending worship, but it's good to see you back there. Let's um, sing the doxology together this morning. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly Have a good week.